This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. It is a Kenny and Heilprin podcast special. Bumped off the air again by the Milwaukee Brewers. We're back. Zach, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ben. Have you been checking in with the U.S. Open at all today? No, I have your tweets to to keep me informed. <laughs> I figured that was the answer. I, I came up with some comps. There There's some stuff going on there that I want to draw into Big Ten football, if it's possible. Um, good show today. So there's some news to get to in the beginning. We also have, as we did a couple weeks ago, we did it with quarterbacks. This time, the Big Ten coaching tiers. There are many rankings out there in the ether. Instead of ranking them 1 to 14, we're going to do categories. We're going to try to tell the story of where these coaches stand and the programs as well entering this season. As always, if you want something answered on the show, leave a five-star review. It helps us out greatly on the podcast page where you are listening to this show. You can follow the show on Twitter at Kenny underscore Heilprin and hit us up there. Uh, And I believe we'll be back on air next Thursday, but you can always interact with the show on Twitter and on the podcast page. So Zach, starting off the only, I guess, pieces of news we have, it's been a, it's been a really happening off season overall, right? There's been more to talk about than you would expect with it being the dog days of the football off season, but Travion Blaylock, it was confirmed by Jesse Temple and the school this week that a presumptive starter at safety had torn his ACL and uh, will now be out for the entire year. What was your first reaction to seeing this piece of news? Well, when we saw it happen in spring, it kind of felt like that was going to be the result of it. I know uh, there have been some other reports that he had uh, that the AC or at least one other report from ESPN's Adam Rittenberg that it was an ACL injury and obviously confirmed this week fresh, uh, you know, from Jesse, uh, I, I believe he had it. I mean, he was talking to Austin Brown, or at least he was having a conversation with Austin Brown and he's coming in and, and potentially could, could play. And this is a big reason why uh, I, I feel bad for Travion. He has been hampered by these injuries throughout his career. I know Jim Leonard, really, really excited about where he was spring wise. And I thought he had a really good spring. Um, and they, it's, it's a spot and we saw them address it in the transfer portal. We've seen them address it, you know, potentially with Austin Brown. And, um, I just think it's a, I think it's a, a tough injury for him and I feel horrible for him. That said, I, I think that I kind of still like John Torchio and, and Hunter Wooler as their safeties to go along with uh, a couple of other guys that may be able to fill in behind them. But no doubt, Trevion Blaylock, especially in the box, what he was going to, I think he was going to be able to give them down there. They're going to miss it. Yeah. My first thought was, I mean, when it, when it happened, I remember you had said that it looked major. And I, for some reason, I thought it was already known that he was going to be out indefinitely. But yeah, I, I wanted this, I, I guess my, thoughts around this news of Jesse confirming that it's an ACL. Obviously you mentioned John Torchio, Hunter Wohler, probably the presumptive starters at this point. Then you have Kamoe Latu, Austin Brown, Owen Arnett, Preston Zachman. It's a, it's definitely a position. That's a question entering the year, probably more so than any other on the defense, maybe throw inside linebacker with it, but it's, it's a big blow. Uh, a lot of the stuff you had said and a lot of the stuff coming out of the spring 
was that he had looked really good and looked poised to make a big jump uh, and, and win one of those starting spots. What this brought up in my brain, though, is like so much we have talked and so much of the chatter around the football offseason has been the craziness of NIL, the portal. You have Caleb Williams, obviously. You have Jordan Addison going to USC. There's this chaos at the top. And like rightfully so, we've, we've talked about Wisconsin's approach to NIL and all that stuff with their place in the sport. But I do think it has to be said that Paul Christ and company have done a terrific job uh, ensuring that the roster is set going into the year. They've gone into the portal, and I, I, I think it's unfair in a way to put Wisconsin in the same conversation as Alabama when it comes to that, right? Because they're not going out and getting a, a Jameer Gibbs and Eli Ricks, who are two of the best players at their respective positions in the country, in the portal to come in and be impact starters right away. But Wisconsin going out at first and ensuring the quarterback cornerback position with Jay Shaw, Justin Clark, Cedric Dort, also bringing in Keontes Lewis at, at wide receiver, who has a bunch of eligibility left. And then now with this news, and it all kind of happened fast, but getting Kamoe Latu from Utah, I mean, take away the schools at the top of the country that have built massive uh, talent rosters on just the portal. I think Wisconsin has done a tremendous job in addressing team needs, getting better year to year. And you can go back and look at the guys that have transferred out throughout last year. And, and as the season was winding down, I think the roster is in a much better spot uh, than maybe I thought it would be, or then it definitely was when uh, compared to when last season ended. I think it's lesson learned from 2018, uh, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, because the last time, and we've talked about this before, but the last time they went through this kind of overhaul of their defense, I mean, they lost eight starters off of last year's unit. You can't, off a unit that finished first in the country in total defense. And the last time they went through something like this, that 2017 defense lost a ton of starters off of that. They were able, they were unable to fill the holes. I mean, we, we you know, Caden Lyles having to play, be your starting uh, defensive end because you just had nobody behind Garrett Rand and Isaiah Loudermilk. Now, that experience forced them into what they did this off season or not even forced them, but, but taught them that they had to do that. You had holes at cornerback, you had holes at safety and you went out and you filled them and you did exactly what you needed to do. And I, you know, I think it, I think they deserve uh, commending for it. Now, maybe if the transfer portal is a little bit more prevalent and guys aren't having to sit out years, you know, in 2018, Maybe they approach it the same way, but this gives them a, a much easier way at roster building and also allows them to fill potential misses in recruiting. So I, you know, you could say that be the case potentially at, at corner along with losing some guys, but you know, and, and not even just uh, getting those three guys as corners. Um, you know, uh, Justin Clark can play safety. Cedric Dort, we saw in the, in the, um, spring play a little safety so like they have some bodies they could potentially throw back there if the guys that they did bring you know if they don't feel totally totally comfortable with the guys after hunter wolder and john torchio i mean they could they could throw alexander smith back there too they don't want to they, they love him as a corner but there are options back there to do so this is a i think a lesson learned from uh what four years ago yeah i think that's a really good way to put it and i, I mean i would add to that and say it's it's adapting to what's going on now.
because, I mean, you look specifically at the cornerback position. Dante Burton transfers out. Uh, Deron Harrell transfers out. Like, there was a lot made during the season, and this is a natural thought, I feel like, from fans is, you know, when someone transfers out, it's, uh, look, the sky is falling. Paul Chris can't keep talent in-house, which has been proven false. But uh, th- there's a, this overreaction when headlines like that happen. They lost, I think, nine players during the season last year, seven of which to the portal, if I'm not mistaken, and then a couple or six of which to the portal, then a couple were dismissed out of the running back room. But I, I mean, I think if you look at the subtractions, if you will, and then you look at the additions, I think, yeah, the additions have definitely outweighed the, the subtractions in that way. So I, I'll give a lot of credit to Paul Chris. I want to differentiate maybe my thoughts on the overall scheme and landscape of college football and where Wisconsin stands in it and then where Wisconsin actually is as a program and what they can do. I think they have done a tremendous job. Lesson learned, I think, as you put it. That's a really good way to look at it. Uh, The other news that I wanted to mention, 2023 recruiting. The class is now up to nine commits after getting three Since last weekend, June obviously being a huge time, uh, and Wisconsin had a lot of guys in Madison over the last couple weekends. So they got another one today. They've gotten three commits since last weekend. They have eight three-star commits. One of them is unranked. They are now up to number 35 in the nation. I don't really have a, I mean, it's, uh, I guess, kind of early on in the process. I don't have a, a sweeping thought on where this class stands and the job Wisconsin's done. But, I mean, you are seeing a, lo- a lot of recruiting getting done. That was, that was pretty much my only thought when I look at, at all these commits and where the class stands. I, I saw some people react and say, look, Paul Chris killing it on the recruiting trail. I definitely wouldn't say that. I, I don't think they're out there like Mel Tucker is right now, just, you know, stacking a top 10 class with blue chip guys left and right. But, you know, they're being Wisconsin. They're recruiting. They got the number one kid from the state in Nate White from Milwaukee running back. You've got a couple guys from Ohio, uh, a couple from Illinois. So, yeah, I no sweeping take with all these commits coming in. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's eight commits since the beginning of May, I believe May, May 6th. Um, so that's eight of the nine in that time period after going. So, and like, I mean, when you go four months without, people start to get worried a little bit and now you're seeing all these official visits come, and I, I suspect there are some more guys coming on. Uh, Jaquez Keys is, is the, the highest rated of them right now, the running back out of Ohio. I think there was a lot of concern about him, him sticking with that commitment because of what he, um, you know, him tweeting out offers afterwards. Some big offers came in afterwards and after he committed to Wisconsin, including one to Michigan. But he took his official visit, I believe, this past weekend and kind of reaffirmed that he's all in with Wisconsin. Other teams are, um, you know, I think that probably other teams are probably still going to come after him, but uh, you know, I think it was a pretty good visit for him. And then uh, I, I really like Nate white. Again, we, we kind of talked about this. I, I talked about this with uh, John McNamara uh, earlier this off season about getting kids out of the city of Milwaukee. It's not necessarily a thing that happens a ton at Wisconsin. Um, I believe Nate white's the first, Uh, one that they've actually signed uh, out of uh, Milwaukee King, at least going back to Lance Kendricks back in, I want to say 2007. You know who Lance Kendricks is. Of course I know who Lance Kendricks is. Yeah. 
but that was uh, that was all the way back in 2007. Now, obviously, yeah. Jerry Cross came out of there and ended up at uh, Penn State in the 2022 class. But like, there's there's a ton of talent there. It's not always easily accessible because they don't always um, get an opportunity to play. I mean, the city conference isn't isn't great football, and um, there are you know uh, hindrances to play to to being able to get all the best kids on the field, and uh, so that's tough. But I think he's going to be – he's an interesting one, especially with the kind of the uh, the size that that uh, and the power that uh, Jaquez Keys kind of comes with. I mean, dude, if you look at some of his pictures, man, he is just insane, like insanely jacked. It's uh, it's impressive. I mean, we, we've seen some of these running backs, and obviously Braylon Allen is the headliner all the time when you talk about jacked running backs. But Jaquez Jack, Jack, Keys, not a small guy. Um AJ Tisdell, the Tisdell, excuse me, the latest guy that they got. His other two big offers, or two of his other big offers, were from Cal and Baylor, and the those guys that are running those programs, the two former uh, Wisconsin defense coordinators, Dave Aranda and Justin Wilcox. So there's I, those guys know defense, and uh, obviously we we know that Jim Leonard does as well, and so we'll see. He's he's not ranked by twenty four seven, which is kind of weird, but. I think uh, that will probably change. It's an interesting class that I think that they have some um, big names out there, namely Taka Curtis out of Louisiana, yep. the outside linebacker. Um, I don't it, is it going to end up in the top thirty? I mean, it's thirty-five right now. I, I guess I'd be surprised if it ends up in the top thirty, the top twenty-five. Probably not. But again, it's a it's going to be a class where you have a lot of guys that. Uh, I think are going to be players at some point. You just don't have in this group right now, you don't have anybody that stands out and said, that's the next star or anything like that. But uh, I like a lot of these guys. Yeah. What's tough for me here when looking at where this class could finish. And I think this is something that will affect how fans look at the class. When you look at the state of Wisconsin, I mentioned Nate white, number one ranked player from the state of Wisconsin by 24, seven sports. He's a three-star there aren't any four stars in the class of 2023 from the state. So obviously there was the whole thing last year with uh, what was it? The super six at first before Braylon Allen reclassified. Yep. Yeah. So that was a loaded it's class. down year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a horribly down year. I shouldn't say horribly. It's a down year for Wisconsin football, especially or Wisconsin football in the state compared to where it was in 2022 and what it will be in 2024. It's, it's, it's not up there. You're right. Right. So even, I guess, I think when fans, even if Wisconsin uh, lands four of the top five, say Thomas Pash had committed to, I believe that is the Northern Illinois logo. It is. Uh, he's the number four player offensive tackle from green Bay. Even if Wisconsin lands r the rest of the top five, that's not the big needle moving commits. Right. So even if they go do the job that you expect the program to do, it won't be a class that really jumps up high in the rankings. So we'll see. No, but there, I mean, there's, there, there are some other, um, I, mean, there, I mean, there are some other pieces there, I think um, that ha have gotten some, uh, some love, I would say from, from some other schools in the big 10, certainly. But again, it's, it's, um, it's not a great year. That's all. I mean, I guess that's, that's pretty much what you, <laughs> You, you can say about it, right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's that's all you can say about it. I can already hear if Wisconsin struggles a bit on the field this season, and then the recruiting class is average, I'll say, not tremendous, not bad. I can already hear the outrage of 
how the program is falling off the cliff because they can't recruit, which I think, I guess the hand is being, the the hands are tied behind the back a bit with the in-state talent. Yeah. I mean, that's always, I mean, here's a, this is a big picture comment, but that's always going to be the thing that holds Wisconsin back more than anything else is they don't have traditionally do not have a ton of talent in their backyard that they can guarantee and, and bring in. This is in Ohio. This isn't Texas. This isn't Florida. This isn't Georgia. You know, this is in Pennsylvania. This isn't California. Like you just don't have that, that base. Like last year's 2022 class was so good. And that's why it was, you know, I, I don't want to call it disappointing, but well, you have to say a little mildly disappointing that you were only able to get three of those guys and really only two in the 2022 class. Cause, cause Braylon reclassified, but in 2024, there's, there's two big names, obviously in, in Donovan Harbor out of uh, Catholic Memorial and his teammate, Corey Smith, the running back out of uh, Catholic Memorial. And both of them are four-star players and guys that Wisconsin, I think, I don't want to say needs to win out, but I think kind of, kind of needs to win. And uh, they, they seem to be in a good spot for him, but they're it's this 2022 class or 2023 class in state. It's not very good. Um, and that's uh that's why it's it's tough to continually be a highly highly ranked recruiting outfit when you uh, are recruiting the state of Wisconsin consistently. I mean, I, that's that's going to come across as a shot at Wisconsin high schools, and I'm not trying to make it that way, but uh, I think it's fair to say that the talent here is not the same as it is in a lot of places where uh, they recruit at a high level every single year. Yep. And you mentioned Pennsylvania. I mean, I've been saying for five years, it'd be nice to get more Philly guys to Madison, you know? Um, sure. <laughs> to some, yes. to the performance on the field. That'll help. Mm, All right. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I was about to read the call number as is my normal way to transition to the next topic, but not live on radio. Probably will be live next week. I see the schedule is freeing up in terms of the Brewers playing on Thursday night. If you want anything answered on the show, five-star review on the podcast page where you are listening to this show, leave your question or comment or whatever it is in the description of the review. We'll definitely get to it. There's one at the end of this show that we will touch on. So, Zach, Big Ten coaching tiers. Uh, I wanted to relate this to the quarterback's tiers. I think it's a good way to get into the state of the Big Ten, the state of the programs, both Wisconsin and the ones they are going up against, ranking them and going into the minutia of who should be over who. I think kind of you lose sight of the important conversation, which is, you know, I, how would you describe this coach's job or the thoughts around how he has been doing? I do kind of bring this up in light of CBS did put out coaching rankings. Paul Christ came in number 14 uh, and in the big 10 number 14, overall 14 in the big 10 would have been tough. I, I, I can name at least one guy. I would not rank Paul Christ behind, but he was sandwiched right in between Kirk Ferentz, number 13 in the country, uh, according to this ranking and James Franklin, number 15. It's Paul Christ is always middling around the, I, I feel like same as the team in the AP poll, but middle of the teams, maybe he goes up or down uh, depending on how the season goes, whether Wisconsin gets to Indy. Obviously he's been trending down, which is what makes this uh, ranking curious because he actually moved up four spots after last year. 
and after the last two years, this year has him trending up, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but we'll get to that. My Big Ten coaching tiers, and I'll say it, you react, and, and we'll get into uh, the coaches within each one. My first one is the product of a terrific environment tier, and that is Ryan Day at Ohio State. Yeah, so you're saying he doesn't deserve anything that he's done. I think he deserves a lot of praise because he has clearly done a terrific job taking over from Urban Meyer. I will also give some truth to what I believe Jim Harbaugh said last year. He started on third base. Uh, wouldn't we all like to start on third base? Agreed. I, mean, I, I, I don't know why we would take a shot at him. Do I, I think he's a very good coach. I think he's a really good offensive mind. It seems like he has been able to take the recruiting to just another level, which is kind of insane concerning what uh, urban Meyer was able to do with Ohio state. I, uh, while I kind of agree that he was, you know, built, you know, what was it born with the silver spoon? He's, he's turned that thing into gold. He's like taking it to a different level. I understand what you're saying. But he's taking it to he I feel like he's taking it to us to, to a different level even at this point. Now they haven't won the national title, but their recruiting's at a different level. And I don't know, man. I uh I guess this I guess this year will kind of tell us, right? Because if Michigan is able to um keep control or Michigan State jumps up and grabs them, then maybe uh maybe you're you're probably right. But I I, I kind of like Ryan Day. I really do, honestly. I kind of say it as a shot because it's the only shot I can take. When I look at, at the facts around what he's done, he's 34 and four. He has three big 10 titles in four years, two playoff appearances, a coach of the year averages top five recruiting class. There really aren't any real shots I can take at him. Right. So I guess saying he's a product of a terrific environment is the closest I can come to it. I don't mean it as a legit shot. I do look at his staff though. Brian Hartline, wide receivers coach. First, you look at the development of talent and the acquisition of talent at that position. They are doing it at another level with all the guys they're sending to the league and will send and the development within that. Larry Johnson is a great defensive line coach. And I'll say this going into the year, but they got Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. Like his staff is ridiculously loaded. I'm maybe not Saban level because that's every NFL washout you could ever name but he is surrounded by guys that make his job very easy. I'm also a little freaked out by his facial hair at times. Um, <laughs> Why? It's a little like too he, perfect. I mean, it's thick. It's definitely, it is thick. really thick. Uh, yeah. Like I kind of like when I, when I think of Ryan day, I think of him with nothing. And so when he pops up all hairy, it's just, uh, it kind of throws me off a little bit. So I think most guys look, you know, when uh, like a, a good looking beard is a very nice asset uh, to, to someone's face, his, his kind of throws me off a little bit. I get that. It's very black. Yes. You know, you, you would think it's almost colored in a way, but interesting. All right. So, and for the record, I would put him as the best coach in the big Ten. I don't mean that as a shot. Uh, he's done a ridiculously good job ta- since taking over. Moving on the why doesn't he win more tier? And that is James Franklin at Penn State. Yeah. I mean, one Big Ten title. 
I feel like he gave, well, you know, early in his tenure, I feel like he was right. They were right there with Ohio state. And then Ohio state just kind of said, Nope, see ya. Bye-bye. Like some of those, those fun, like night games at the, the you know, the whiteouts Saquon. At stadium. Yeah. I mean, there, there was some, there was some fun, but that title is now six years ago. So <laughs> with the talent that they bring in, it's not necessarily top 10 classes all the time. I think they've only finished in the top 10 twice in, uh, in his tenure, but yeah, they probably, I mean, they went seven and what, seven and six last year. Yeah. Seven at, and six after starting, I believe it was five and zero or five and zero. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good tier for him. That's a good tier for him. And too much, it, talent, it was, too much, too much talent to be winning, uh, not winning as many games as you should be. Yeah. You look at that roster they had and just with who they sent to the NFL, on the defensive side of the football, it was all over. And yeah, Sean Clifford maybe hasn't taken big jumps forward. The team couldn't run the ball well, but still, I mean, it's it's a school that's been sending guys to the NFL at a really impressive clip, yet on the field, and maybe this is a comparison to Paul Christ in a way, like 2016 was great. They win the Big Ten. 2017, they go 11 and two. 2018, the down year in theory, they go nine and four. 2019, they're right back there at 11 and two. And then 2020 and 21, they're combined 11 and 11. So I guess it could be a comparison to Paul Christ where, I mean, the last two years have been down years for him. The difference to me is, I mean, Penn State is recruiting at a top 20 clip every season. Wisconsin's best class ever is number 16. And that was in 2021. But 67 and 34 overall, one Big Ten title that we mentioned. Coach of the year once. Uh, like, yeah, they run into Ohio state a lot and I get it. You can say that about all the East teams, but they lost at home to Illinois last year, right? Like, what are we doing with those players? Apparently not uh, anything good enough. He's an interesting guy. I feel like if any, uh, big 10 coaches would leave to go play golf in Saudi Arabia and go to the live. I feel like James Franklin's that guy. (laughs) I can see that. There's my comp. There are two other guys I think would go, but he was the first one. All right. Uh, moving on the, and I, I guess I could curse now that we're off air, but I still, I won't, uh, the wow, that looks like a ridiculously good hire tier. And that is Mel Tucker at Michigan state. Yeah. Obviously the recruiting has stepped up what they were able to do last year. He, he, he went about it. Badger, by the way, he went about it by doing like the, the free agency of college football. I mean, he went out and added, I think it was 13 uh, transfers last year. And a lot of them played a lot of very good football for them, obviously headlined by Kenneth Walker, but then he went out and did it again this off season. And we'll see what happens with Jalen Berger, but now he's doing it on the recruiting trail too. So it seems like a very good hire, but it's also one year, right? Like you don't like everything. It feels, it feels like a very, very good hire but it's also just one year. So I I don't want to sit here and say that it it is a great hire, but it certainly feels like one. Yeah. I really like him. I I feel like, and maybe this is just from all of the big 10 people I follow on Twitter and being around the college football space. I just feel like he has a great pulse for the Michigan state program. And part of that is he's beaten Michigan twice, but I can't blame him at all, obviously for going two and five in 2020. 
when he had a shell of a roster. And then he comes back and goes 11 and two last year with their secondary was horrendous. Like it was really exposed when they played Ohio state, it was like 49, nothing at halftime. But aside from that, they were winning games despite having, I mean, one of the worst secondaries for a good team that I've seen. So yeah, early returns. I I'm very impressed. I may be a little more optimistic than saying it's only one year. Like he's a guy that does scare me uh, with how he can acquire talent. Like Michigan state right now, 2023 class. They've had a couple four stars recently. They are nine overall in the country. So that's uh, like, that's normally when you look at the big 10, Ohio state, Michigan's maybe top 10 in a good year, Penn state on a great year's top 10. If Michigan state also rises to the top 10, I mean, that, is a little bit scary for Wisconsin if we go no division. Um, who else is in the top ten right now? Is that is that Northwestern I see there, or is they are they not in there anymore? Uh, I don't have the full class rankings. Okay, because uh, they were in there as of like last week. So um, it's yeah, early. You're right. It's early. Let's let's let's, uh, let's take uh, a step back, right? Yeah, Northwestern. Well, that's because they have 18 commits. Doesn't matter. Still in the top four. But Michigan State, when you look at the blue the chip ratio, eleven yeah. commits, eight four stars. So. Yeah, I mean their their average is eighty nine uh eighty nine point six two, right? So it's uh it's a look it's a it's a it's a good class. Wisconsin's right now eighty six point five eight according to the uh, composite rankings from twenty four seven, but it's early, and it is one year. Don't care what you say. It's one year um, and uh, they beat Michigan, right? Who else did they beat last year? Lost to Purdue. Lost embarrassingly to Ohio State. Beat Pittsburgh. And w- w- did what's his name play in that game? I don't think he did, did he? At the end of the year, Kenny Pickett? Well, uh, in the Peach no. Bowl. Kenny Pickett play? No. He did not. So, all right. So. One year. Let's let's uh, let's let's uh, you can say not one year, but I'm I think it's it looks like a good hire. It's also let's it's it's one year. All right. So chill. And yeah. as you've and as you've outlined, James Franklin's uh, done a pretty good job uh, putting players on the team. It's but getting them to play and, and play well is, is is another thing than just recruiting. Agree. I will also note that their Nebraska win was complete. No, it's crap. No. Oh, okay. I was about to say it's not impressive, Ben. No one. No, cares. it was a crap win. They shouldn't have won. It was. It was one of those games that Nebraska handed away. They did not deserve to win that football game. Okay, All but right, they good. did, and the record shows that they did. But yes, I, I, I get that. Some of, uh, some of their wins. If I was gonna, uh, not use a sensor, I would use a lot of choice words to describe them. All right. Uh, moving on. The. Does a lot with limited resources, so I respect them a lot here. And that is Paul Christ at Wisconsin and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Limited resources. What are we talking about here? So, uh, in the grand scheme of the Big Ten, I, I would say Wisconsin generally does not invest as much into recruiting as some of their conference counterparts. Based so, on what? Like in terms of I in terms of you go to on three and you go to any recruiting site and they have them in the top 
fifty, I guess, in money spent on recruiting. Like that's a little specific, but in general, I would say they don't have as many resources out on the recruiting trail as some of their counterparts. Northwestern definitely. So because of that, like I I am always impressed with how Wisconsin, and this has gone on for a long time, but how they can consistently compete with classes that do not rival that of the team on the other side of the field. Like I, Paul Christ has done a lot with resources that do not rival those of some of the rest of the conference. And have they routinely beaten those teams? Maybe not routinely, but they have routinely succeeded. Against teams that you would say probably don't, they're probably right in the same thing in terms of resources. I don't, I, I've never, um, bought into the the money spent because everyone accounts for it differently you know what i mean like some people have a private plane that they can fly around all the time and no one is checking them on it and they don't actually put that down on a on a balance sheet i'm not saying that's what certainly not that's what's saying wisconsin does but like a school could be doing that and that would never get counted towards money that they spend towards recruiting so i i don't really put a lot of stay uh a lot of thought or even belief in into those um those numbers We've seen them. You're right. In past years, they have not uh, in terms of personnel, I think you would say. Um, clearly, Michigan State, an, another example here with uh, having what was it? What, what did uh, Saeed want? He wanted uh, 16, 20, 20 people in that room uh, at Michigan State or something like that. I'm kidding, of course. They, they had like 14 people in, at Michigan State. At Wisconsin, he had four. Mickey Turner now as the head of this has a lot more people. And I think uh, there are going to be more resources spent uh, quote unquote resources spent on the recruiting front in the past though. Um, they have done a good job based on recruiting rankings, but is that how they view these guys? Do you think they view these guys as three-star guys? Or do you think they evaluate themselves and then go ahead and uh, just, they look at the tape and say, I don't really care if he's a three-star somebody else. We love him. He's going to be a, a great player. I see truth in the second part of that. I, I bring up the money spent thing, not to talk specific numbers, but just to point out, like, if you look, I, I could look at it in the grand scheme of the country and not go school versus school, but to look that there are probably, I, I would say 75% of the Big Ten would rank ahead of them in, in how much they put into recruiting and especially recently, and that has changed, and I've given them credit for that. I I guess it's the recruiting thing. I would just say overall, like some of the first thoughts, if you ask anybody that's a college football fan outside Big Ten country, what do they think of Wisconsin? It's like they are just consistently good without getting, you know, the great players necessarily on the recruiting trail into the program. And I wanted to group Paul Christ and Fitzgerald together because I think they similarly – their, their brand is similarly built on whoever comes in. They have the culture to consistently win, uh, really, no matter the stars. Yeah. And I guess you could kind of look at the stars and say, oh, yeah, but stars don't matter. But they do. I mean, when you look at the first round pick of the NFL draft, I forget, I forget the percentage. Excuse me. But, I mean, the majority of those were five-star guys coming out of high school. Yeah, stars star, stars are mattering a lot more now because we are so much more better informed of of these guys as high school players, right? I think that the breakdown of guys and everything like that is just so farther ahead of where it used to be, probably even five years ago, ten years ago. That's like fair. We know 
You know what I'm saying? Like we know yeah. so much more about these guys and the, and, and how they play and who they are and what they are that I think the rankings are starting to mean more. I guess what my point is, uh, is I, resources are what they are. And you say overachieved. I think uh, when you put these two guys next to each other, you would say um, Paul Chris has done it more consistently without the down years that Northwestern has done, right? No like doubt. Northwestern's had some horrendously down years under Pat Fitzgerald. They've also had extremely great years and very high years where they've, they've made it to the Big Ten championship game and, and, uh, and all that good stuff. But I will say in terms of achieving above where they should be, I think Paul Chris is underachieved. This goes back to our conversation a few weeks ago about where Wisconsin is. I think Wisconsin's underachieved the last two years. And so putting him in this tier makes sense right now, but I think if another year of underachieving uh, of, of, where they're, of where they should be, where I think a lot of people think they should be, maybe that's, th- this isn't necessarily the tier that he should be in anymore. Oh, I agree. And I had something written down for after going through each of the, each of the coaches and the tiers uh, where Paul Christ ranks overall, if you had to put a number to it in the big 10 without putting other names there. But I think the trending part of it is, is the biggest part of the story because definitely, I mean, this is a big year. I, this year will go a long way towards changing my belief, say towards the job he is doing in the program especially when you look at all the hires he made and all the changes that we had seen. But when, when speaking about entering this year and not about maybe what could happen or if it goes wrong, where he could fall, I still think looking at his entire tenure at Wisconsin thus far, I would say he's done a lot with, you know, limited resources, hence the name. Again, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not disagreeing with that. I just, uh, I think if, if you look at it at a, at a closer level, the last two years, some would say, especially the way last year finished, that, you know, uh, underachieving would be, and really three of the last four years have been that way. So I guess if, I mean, if we're on Chris, do you want to do this now uh, about where, where he would fall if we had to put a number to it? Sure. Um, what do you, what's, num- what's your number? So I was going through it and I'm not going to say who I had in front of him because that will create mass hysteria. But right now I would, I would rank him fifth in the big 10. Um, okay. Well, I, I, I honestly have not thought about this. I did yeah. not sit down. I have not sat down and you tell me why he's fifth. Well, if, if it has to be known, I would put him behind in no order, Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, Kirk Ferentz, James Franklin. <clears throat> now, Franklin is on a similar path to him, obviously, right now. But I do think that Penn State's ceiling is, is a lot higher, and they are set up well, you would hope, going into the next couple of years with who's coming into the building. Harbaugh and Day, I think, are a lock right now. And Ferentz, I mean, like, yeah, Iowa and Wisconsin have, you know, battled for the top of, of the Big Ten West for a while. But it's, it, it kind of goes back and forth. I, Iowa was the one that won the division. And did Wisconsin crush them? Yes. But uh, Iowa also, you know, didn't lose that game at the end of the year. And then they were able to go into the Big Ten Championship. So Harbaugh, Day, Ference, Franklin would be the four I would put ahead of him right now. And 
I mean, that's only based on track record, say, where they stand the last couple of years in their careers. If we had to go going forward, who I would want to run my program, maybe the answer would be a little different. Yeah, I like your four, and then I probably, I'd probably add, I'd probably say Pat Fitzgerald based on what he does with what he does. There are just, there are just some, in, uh, because they've been around so long, just really, really frustrating uh, decisions. And like, so with Kurt Ferentz, I think he's a really good coach, but he's also extremely stubborn. Oh, and so stubborn. The fact that they're still doing the offense, the running the offense, they are like, it's extremely, extremely frustrating. I, I think for, for Iowa fans, especially cause it's his son. So that's difficult. Um, but just tenure and his mannerisms and the way that he, you know, goes about his business, certainly like him up there and, and they've had success. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guys that I think could be above him at some point, probably Mel Tucker. If, if this is not just a one-year thing, Agree. um, right. And, uh, Hmm. It pains me to say it. You know what? I'll come out and say it. Don't you dare. I could oh, see a no, scenario. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It depends who you're going to go here. I could see I could, a if scenario. You're gonna go Brett, if you're going Brett Bielema, I'm okay with it. If you're not, <laughs> if, you're going with, if you're going with PJ Fleck, we're going to have a problem. I'm not going Brett Bielema, but I could see a scenario in three years if one school wins the Big Ten West, two out of the, I, I'll say this, the final three years of Big Ten West existence, probably. If there is a certain other school that wins the division twice in a row and Wisconsin goes over, then I could see a scenario where PJ Fleck would be ranked ahead of Paul Chris. PJ Fleck is an absolute joke. PJ Fleck is a slime ball. PJ Fleck, I, I'd be shocked if he's there for three more. No, I won't be shocked if he's there for more three more years because he's got the wool pulled up all over Minnesota's eyes right now. Like it's just, it's insane. Um, so putting him in any category in the same vein as Paul Christ is uh, ridiculous. PJ Fleck, the man of many faces, apparently, uh, is just an absolute <laughs> joke. And, um, you know, personally, if I didn't hear, have to hear that name again, I'd be okay with it. So I hope wow. he, you, you talk about guys that could potentially, potentially, like, be ones that would jump off and, and, and run for the live tour of college football. He'd be at the top of the list. At there we the go, Zach. Of the list. Because you mentioned go. it earlier. Mentioned it earlier. He'd be at the top of the list. No, I, I, I would call him a used car salesman, but that would be uh, a big <laughs> shot at used car salesman. <laughs> wow. Um, first of all, great. Give me more golf analogies here on on, on this show because I'll oh, bring him. I agree. Both. He was my number one name of Big Ten coaches watch list who would defect to the live and leave their team behind. God. I really, like, I, I don't want to put Paul Christ in the same conversation as him. I, I'm just looking realistically. There is a three-year path. And we can end this conversation now. But, I I mean, first of all, that was great. Um, the, uh, the car salesman thing, I agree with. Speaking of Fleck, if we want to just get this out of the way quickly, he is in the stop bungee jumping tier. <laughs> what like i don't i don't understand it at all like his i went back and looked at so i haven't done a ton of research on this but i did go back and look at pictures because he said it happened in august august of 2019 i believe um 
whatever the whatever uh, July of 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 that year before camp, and I went and looked at pictures from Big Ten media days. There's no sign of any injury whatsoever. Like so, maybe it happened at the end of July, but like I don't. Does anybody recall there being any kind of facial injury that was actually visible with PJ Fleck in that time? No. Okay, just fess up to it, dude. You got some work done. It was. It you were looking because. <laughs> If you go back and look at his opening press conference, like the first year that he was at Big Ten Media Days, I may have spent five or ten minutes on this. If you go back and look at his face <laughs> during Big Ten Media Days when he first started, compared to where he is now, so that was, tw- I believe, 2017, to where he is now, uh, or I should say last year, it has not been a, a kind five years to pay Jay Fleck. And, that's, and as someone right around his age, I completely get it. Like, it, that's you're going through a different time right now. I get that, but dude, that is just some bad, bad work. I get what you're trying to do there, but that's like, just, just fess up to it. It's totally within your profile. It's totally within who you are. Like no one's going to be surprised if you got the work done, just, just own up to it. I, I don't like, and that it's still healing. Come on now. Give me a break. (laughs) Oh man. I, can you send me these pictures or can you tweet them? Actually, can you do a side by side? I'm not, no, it's, it's, it's pointless, but like 2017 to eh, last year's really, really big change. Like you could see like the, this, the dark circles under the eyes, the, you know, the, you know, you're getting some of the um, creases and the cracks around your, where you smile and where, you know, all that good stuff that happens when you age and I going through it as well. Like he owned the bald thing. I don't understand why he can't old, own the other stuff. You know what I mean? Like if he didn't get hair implants, like then why are you going to go ahead and do this other stuff? Again, he may have gotten injured doing a bungee thing, but it, it is very, very questionable. Very, very questionable. But again, I don't care that he did that. I just don't think he's, uh, <laughs> I just don't like him as a person. Um, and uh, having never spent a lot of time with him, that's probably extremely unfair of me, but here I am. Six minutes on PJ Fleck. I, do you want to talk about him as a football coach or should we just skip him? Well, I mean, we already talked about him as a football coach, haven't we? I mean, like they, uh, they have had uh, about the same success as they had under uh, Glenn Mason. Like they've been, that's who they are. They had, they jumped up and, and had a double win, double digit win season a couple of years ago. Wisconsin beat them when they, when it mattered most. And otherwise it's kind of been like a fart in the wind. Like it just, it's, it's Minnesota. It's Minnesota. I think that's pretty much what you have to say about it. They are who they are. And PJ Fleck, I would be shocked if he's there for the entirety of his career. I agree with the, with the, they are who they are thing and, and getting up and jumping up to double digit wins. I will say though, and maybe this is not the stance I should take in this state, but if they eliminate the horrible losses, like they are able to compete with Wisconsin semi-regularly, right? Like those games have been, the games have been more competitive than they were for the 20 years before that. Right. And I don't mean to say that they are in this amazing spot. He's this amazing coach, but I, I do think he is an okay football coach. I said it. And you said he's going to pass, uh, Paul Christ, right? That's what, that that's I did what not say. say. Check the no? tapes. All right. So again, um, they are who they are. They and you know Paul Christ 
owns who he is and, and owns his personality. It's not the greatest person to cover uh, because you're usually not going to get a ton of insight from him. And that's, again, he, that's just, he doesn't want to do it. PJ Fleck is at the other end of the spectrum and he goes so overboard that it's, uh, it's annoying. And look, I, he's fake. Maybe this is who he is, but it just feels too over the top to be anything but fake. And uh, that's very difficult for me to not say, de- not deal with. I don't have to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. I, uh, I don't know what I would have to do. I don't know what I would do if I had to deal with that on a daily basis. That'd be very tough. Um, kind of going into, a, into my mind here for a second, Ben. That would be horrible. But I, I don't have to deal with it on a daily basis. But he, he is a, he's a certain flavor. And uh, I think a lot of people probably are okay with that flavor. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that are probably not. I don't think he's an overly likable fella personally. But Agree. again, he is who he is. And uh, I don't know. I, I just think it's fake at times. I think it's, I think it definitely is fake. I do think he will be a lot, le- he would be a lot less unbearable if he wore something that normal people wear on the sideline of football games, right? <laughs> Like the yes. whole all white suit with the tie. Like it once you get to that level, it's like, come on, dude. And people joke about what Paul Christ wears. I mean, if you're talking about representing an area, right? Like a football coach is a very prominent figure in a state like Wisconsin or Minnesota or Michigan, all those places. You you want to go at least a little bit towards representing, you know, the people. And obviously Paul Christ is a badger, as most of them are, but yeah, what he wears, I think, plays into that. Um, I, do you think, and I maybe this is a small tangent, but do you think Jim Leonard looks like a guy who enjoys mowing his lawn? <laughs> I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, but yes. Uh, one tweet yeah, was, a year, that, Zach. He sends one good. tweet every year. <laughs> In 2020, it was some meal service. This one, he just comes back and has this big return to Twitter. And he's like, Oh, thanks. I do like mowing my lawn. <laughs> I don't, I, you know what? I'd be shocked to be most lawn. Wouldn't you be? It looks like he, and ugh, I don't know if I should say this. It kind of looks like he cuts his own hair. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, again, as someone who has none, I don't really get to comment on somebody else's hair, but I don't hate, I don't hate the look. I'll oh, I that, think it's a great that. look. I don't hate but he, it. But he looks like a dude that loves ball. I mean, that is a compliment. Yeah. No, he definitely loves ball. Like that, the ball is life. Like him oh, and uh, what? It is, isn't it? Ball's that, life. No, that was just wildly cringy. Uh, ball is life. Yes. Uh, I, what I think makes Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard, is it's really pretty much all he. Uh, it, it takes up a lot of his life and we've, I mean, throughout his entire high school career and college career and pro career and now coaching career, like it's, it's pretty much all he's known. Like it, very few people go from straight from a 10 year career, right into coaching right after it's done. And he did that cause he loved football. And, you know, there's stories of him sitting up in the thing, watching film and, and guys coming in and coming out and going in and going out. And he's just, he's always in there. It's just it's who he is. So um, I, I would be surprised if he cuts his own lawn. That's just me. 
Um, all right, let's uh, let's zoom through a couple of these. Moving on across the rest of the conference, Zach, the hot seat tier, Scott Frost, Nebraska. Yes, agreed. I think that's very straightforward. Like, if they're bad again with the presumed talent again that they have, he is gone. Uh, it is a little bit surprising that he stuck around, but they did do the whole, all right, we're going to fire all your assistants. Now it has to be you kind of deal, but they bring in good transfers. We'll see about the team. As I've said, they have a pretty easy first six, seven games uh, slot this season. And then they get, well, they get Oklahoma early, but then they close the year with Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And I can see him losing all four of those games to then lose his job. But I, I, I think his place is pretty straightforward entering yeah. the year. This one I've been looking forward to the look at me. I'm a Michigan man. I went to Michigan and everyone from this state loves me tier. And that is Jim Harbaugh or otherwise known as the, I'm kind of glad he didn't go to the NFL tier. Really? Oh, he's so good for big 10 football. So you, so you are afraid of Mel Tucker, but not Jim Harbaugh. No, it's not. No, it's not afraid. It's as someone who loves big 10 football. I thought him going to the NFL would have been bad news for the conference. Like the conference is, I feel like healthy in terms of storylines and intrigue when Jim Harbaugh is at Michigan, love him or hate him. And he's Jim obviously Har- not as, he, he's not as despisable as PJ Fleck, but I, a, a lot of people dislike him heavily. I, I kind of like him a little bit. I, I like the way, and this might sound crazy. I, I kind of like the way he, he carries himself. Like that's what a, polarizing college football figures should look like he was much more annoying as a pro coach than he is as a college coach uh his tantrums on the sideline were friend mccaffrey-esque like mm-hmm. they uh that it was up there some of the his meltdowns with the 49ers just acting like a baby uh literally like a baby just i couldn't believe it and it's it's because and it, it's no shock that that kind of thing rubs people the wrong way, especially in uh, the pro ranks, because guys are around longer than three or four years. Um, so his his act, I think, you know, comes up tired at times. But in college, I think it, it's better suited because the guys are uh, cycling through there. So uh, they had a breakthrough last year, and now it's can you build on that and and keep stay competitive with Ohio State and beat them on a more consistent basis. Uh, but yes, Michigan man through and through. But tell me, like, is, is do you disagree necessarily with the notion that his presence in the Big Ten is good for the conference or at least good for covering it? I mean, I literally couldn't give a crap um, whether That's Jim fair. Harbaugh Jim Harbaugh is in this in in the conference or not. Like he did, it's not. I mean, a, a good Michigan, I think, is it more interesting for the conference? I think it gives you a little bit more uh, people believe in it a little bit more if Michigan's good, but. I don't really think Jim Harbaugh, whether he's here or not, um, outside of the success that they have, really means a ton for That's me. That's fair. All right. Uh, moving on, the best could be yet to come, or they are one bad year away from being canned tier, and that is Tom Allen at Indiana and Jeff Brom at Purdue. Yeah, I felt like both those guys were on the cusp of breakouts, right? 2020 with Indiana. And it feels like every year <laughs> with, with Purdue uh, where they, they get this big win specifically last year, go to Iowa and get that huge win. And then 
come home and, and lose to Wisconsin. Like they're Jeff Brom just can't get over the hump. And Tom Allen, I think COVID and an injury to a, a what appeared to be a rising star in Michael Penix Jr. kind of has derailed that to an extent. But um, again, great year in 2020, not so good 2021. And Jeff Brom just always been right there and just can't ever make it make it consistent. Yeah, Tom Allen's doing well in Indiana standards with bringing talent in. So, I mean, in terms of what they expect at that program, I feel like he's at a crossroads now where he could prove that 2020 was maybe more real and then 2021 was more of an anomaly in the bad direction compared to him actually being, you know, not great at the top of that program. I personally, I like him. I think a lot of people overreacted after the 2020 season that, you know, he was bringing Indiana back or I I don't even know if their football program's ever been good, but he was bringing their program, you know, up to mean something in the big 10. And Jeff Brom is similar in a way where, I mean, they're sending guys to the NFL constantly. There is that level of, you know, top level talent every year. It feels like, right. They they send a guy or two to the NFL and a, a first or second round pick at that. But the wins have not really been there. Uh, 29 and 29. I feel like that perfectly describes Jeff Brock. 29 and 29 as the head coach of Purdue. And that's what you would guess is his record, I feel like. He has great wins every year. And then will also throw some absolute duds against Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, Indiana went to one bowl game from 1994 to 2014. So, yes. Not, not exactly great. Uh, football from them. Tom Allen, though, again, it felt like he was building something. And the beginning of last year, obviously, uh, getting Penix Jr. back just didn't, I mean, he just wasn't the same guy. And uh, the, the fall off was significant. Purdue, I, I don't know what you could do. And, and, and the thing is, Jeff Brown is always going to be a name that potentially is going to leave, right? Like uh, Louisville, We'll see. They, they seem to be doing a, a, a pretty good job of recruiting, um, but his name is always attached to that job. And he, for the first time, I think this offseason, he didn't totally deny it. So, um, I mean, if I were him, I'd probably get out while I, the people at Louisville still want me. But um, it's they're both tough places to win. I'll say that, especially uh, Indiana being in the East like it is. I mean, they didn't, they went winless in the big 10 last year. They, uh, that's the first time that's happened since for them since what 2011. So it, it's not great. And I think one more, one more really, really poor year would lead. All right. Moving on to the final couple, we have the football guys that are hilarious to watch on the sidelines, but probably will never have a good passing offense tier. And that is Greg Schiano at Rutgers and Brett Bieloma at Illinois. I uh, fervently disagree putting those two together. One's had extreme success uh, in the Big Ten before with a pretty good passing game is uh, in 2010, 2011, and 2007, 2005, 2000, yeah, 2007. So um, I actually think Brett Bieloma is going to turn that program around and they're actually going to be worth something putting him in the same category as Greg Schiano, who uh, maybe over the hill, maybe it's passed by a little bit. Uh, not sure it's 
entirely fair to Brett Bielema, but um, fun to watch on the sidelines. Certainly don't find, uh, I find Brett Bielema fun to watch. Greg Schiano, eh, not so much. Uh, I mean, Greg Schiano is a big East legend. Yeah, uh, Big East, the conference that no longer exists yes. in football. No, I get it. I, I will say the addition of Tommy. Now, I talk, we talked about Tommy DeVito a couple of weeks ago, quarterback transfer from Syracuse to Illinois. Like I get Brett Bielema, I think, similar to Mel Tucker. It just feels like they are the right people to lead those programs. At the same time, it is Illinois. And my thought, my outside look at Illinois is one that they probably will never be able to pass the ball. Now, that could, that could easily be proven wrong. But I put them together also because they have the same overall path, put aside the success of doing it for a while, you know, at one school and then coming back after a little bit to, to now coach in the Big Ten. Shiano obviously was uh, at Rutgers before. Bielema was at Wisconsin, but still, they're a little older. They're like pure football guys. That's why I put them together. Moving on, or yeah, yeah, we can we can move on before more Brett Bielema love gets gets showered. Uh, finally, the juggernaut against FCS yeah. schools, but cannot win Big Ten football games, but also kind of recruits well, and that is Michael Oxley in Maryland. It is, it is ridiculous, Zach. I, I have a couple numbers. Since he took over, he has played six non-conference games in three years because 2020 obviously did not happen. He is a 5-1 and one in those non-conference games, outscoring opponents 288-80. to 80. That is an average of 48-10 to 10 in the non-conference games. Meanwhile, in the Big Ten, he is 8-22. and 22. I feel like this is the same tier that you put his quarterback in, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like it's it's almost word for word exactly. <laughs> like, can win can win non conference games, but can't win Big Ten games. Yeah, that's it's hilarious. I, I mean, it's it it fits. It fits. I'm not saying it doesn't fit. I'm just saying it's it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's my view on the Maryland program. He did bring in a, a top twenty class somehow. Um, That'll be interesting. I don't see Maryland under him ever getting to a point of rising to a tier above where they are, whatever tier that may be in the Big Ten East or in the Big Ten in general. Um, and Wisconsin, again, meets them this year and might meet them more in the future instead of playing Northwestern every year if divisions go awry. Uh, so that'll do it for the tiers. I wanted to quickly hit uh, a listener question. The name on the podcast description was too long and jumbled, but they asked uh, a blueprint for Wisconsin to beat Ohio State, either A, on the road in September, and B, in Indy. And I think the interesting way to look at it is what would, a different, what would the differences be in what Wisconsin would have to do? Because 2019 is the last time that they played Ohio State regular season and then in the Big Ten Championship. Obviously, uh, at Ohio State, they got crushed in the Big Ten title. They came out strong in the first half and then proceeded to lose by two touchdowns. I don't the, – the thing about this game happening in September and most likely at night in Columbus 
I don't really know if there's a different uh, recipe to Wisconsin winning the game, right? Because it's not going to be cold weather. Uh, it's not going to be mucked up by rain or snow or, or whatever. And even so, that game in 2019 in Ohio State was rainy, and Ohio State still did not have any trouble. I, I think their recipe is the exact same. They have to somehow keep C.J. Stroud on the sideline. When he is in the game, they have to pressure him enough to make him look like a freshman starter that doesn't know how to read defenses. And last year, Michigan was able to do that a bit, but that was also uh, – uh, C.J. Stroud was in a different point in his career than he will be coming into this year. I, I see a big improvement even coming from him. But it's, it's all about pressure. It's about somehow keeping the ball. And it's Graham Mertz playing like a top two, three quarterback in the Big Ten. I think that's the only way they can beat Ohio State, really, in either of those opportunities. So what did they do in 2019 in the first half? At they Ohio ran the State? ball, right? They ran the ball. No, I'm talking about in the Big Ten championship game. When they, like I'm, I'm talk, we, we know what doesn't work, right? We know what, we know what doesn't work. 2019 early in the season doesn't work. What worked in 2019 in the Big Ten championship game was running the ball early. Jonathan Taylor got going early, well over 100 yards in the first half. Um, they had them on a string. I mean, and they, they pulled the ball out. Jack Cohn high-stepping into the end zone because all the focus was on Jonathan Taylor. It's about – that's what it's about. It's about being able to run the ball, as you mentioned, keep the ball out of C.J. Stroud's hands. And uh, when you do – like, I feel Wisconsin's defense is good enough. If put in some, you know, favorable spots to be able to hold up to an extent. But when your offense does nothing like it did the first game in 2019, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible to beat Ohio State. So it's running the ball and then taking advantage of some opportunities down the field when they come up to slow the run. But, um, again, I, it's extremely, extremely difficult to make that happen. And it's also the mythical thing of Ohio State right like you have to you don't just have to beat Ohio State you have to beat the idea of Ohio State I think in a lot of places and I think Wisconsin's one of those places uh Michigan had to overcome it and they finally did last year I don't know it's I think it's an extremely extremely tough ask especially on the road at night I would give them a better chance if they were to meet again you know in December but um it's it's what Wisconsin has done for the last 30 years it's run the ball take advantage of some some big shots and uh, win the time of possession battle. Don't turn the ball over and uh, have your defense not give up big plays. I mean, it, it, I don't feel like it's a, a, a tough equation. No, it's not terribly complicated. The, the execution is obviously just challenging in that regard. Uh, I, I concur completely, though. All right, that's going to do it for us. Appreciate everyone sticking around. If you want anything talked about on the program, comments, questions, Leave a five-star review on the podcast page. We will be sure to get to it in the near future. Again, on Twitter at Kenny underscore Heilprin. I, I am right now live again like I did last week, stupidly, going to look at the Brewers baseball schedule. Zach, do you know if we're back live next week? I don't. Uh, I will stall time while my phone loads the schedule. I think for the month of July, we're golden. It's it. Yeah, we're, we're good. If they're at, they play at one. Oh, yeah. All right. So back live next Thursday. I'm sure we will have a great show in store then as well. Appreciate everyone sticking around. See you. 
Kenny and Heilprin. Thursdays from 6 to 7 and on demand at madcitysportszone.com.